Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kenzie. What a service already. What am I doing here? I think as you can tell, like there's a certain sense this summer that we keep an element of lightness in the room, but doesn't it feel heavy in a really good way this morning? Thank you guys so much for being here. So glad that you're able to share, that we're able to partner with you guys to support you and continue to pray, and we're going to see Jesus continue to work through you. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, how many of you have been in Fredericton since like the 90s? The good old days. No. Uh, if, if you grew up in Fredericton, you probably remember when the last train kind of exited here and that when the uh, railroad kind of changed into a walking trail. How many remember uh, the first time the bridge as in the train bridge, became the walking bridge. Do you guys remember that? For me and for my friends in Devon, that was awesome because it was way easier to get to the other side of the river on our bikes or, or walking or whatever. I heard a story. Apparently it's true. Like You, you can't take my word for it because my, my oldest uncle told me that when he was in college, and so this was like 100 years ago, but uh, he... It was like Frosh Week, and one of the things that they got the guys to do back then, and you know, they would have been 18 years old or something like that, this was when trains were still operational, okay? That's the important thing to note. They had to take uh, a, like tissue paper, uh, basically, actually toilet paper, and they had to decide like, so how many squares of toilet paper would it take to get from one side of the bridge to the other? And he said that a train was coming, and it was terrifying. And so they had to do the math on it. He ended up becoming an engineer, so apparently like, it worked out for him. But, but that was a, a massive transition. It seems like a small thing, but imagine what's changed now, even around Picaroons, and it's, it's a desirable spot for people to go. Like That was a massive transition, and it was a bridge that did it. And I think about some other ones, and so I was curious about you. What have been some of the most memorable transitions in your life? You can probably think of a variety of ones. Some of them are, are serious. Some of them seem small, but they're still pretty big. Like it could have been school. It could have been a school that you got to attend. It could have been graduating from that school. Uh, it could have been getting into it. It could have been getting the job or, or maybe retirement. Anyone cheering for retirement? Anyone? No? A few people? It could be that. It could be moving. Some of these things could be bittersweet, but sometimes those transitions are, are so memorable. They, they make a huge difference in our lives. We remember them. Birthdays, anniversaries, other milestones. Maybe some fun ones. Do you remember getting your license? few people in here probably getting ready to, right? You had to study for the test. You had to pass the test. Driver's tests, anyone intimidated by those? But once you get the keys to your first car, it's, it's a great, it's a freedom kind of feeling, isn't it? Uh, what about finally being able to go on that trip? Someone in here, maybe you had a bucket list item and you were able to go on that. Those things are awesome. For, for me, um, I did deep down want a dog for a long time. I've talked about this before, so it'll be short. But, but for me, it was a, a huge and memorable transition for Kelsey and I to, to get a dog. That's been a meaningful part of the last five years of our, of our life. How about the landing? You guys like going to the landing? 
Milltown now is on the north side in Marysville. Now, this is funny. So the first time when it was like a soft open, uh, I took the staff down for just a meeting, really an excuse to check it out, to get a coffee and a treat. And we went and we took a couple pictures and sent them to Pastor Tim over on Graham and Ann. And he wrote back, he wasn't pleased at first. No, he was. But what he wrote back is like, for all the years that I worked on the north side, for all the years that I worked in Marysville, and I prayed, I prayed that there would be a cafe worth going to and spending all my time there. He said, no, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I'm really happy for you that you get this. But he has Newtons, right? And I know some of you have already been over to see him on Newtons. But what about really significant, whether physical or spiritual? Getting married, you've probably thought about this before, that that's one of the uh, biggest and most important transitions in your life, receiving Jesus, is the most important. That and choosing who you're going to marry, you've probably heard Pastor Tim share that before. Those are the two big ones. Getting baptized, and we're still celebrating those transitions when you come up out of the water and we all celebrate together. Well, odds are either you or someone you know and love will be going through experiencing a transition of some sort that's significant in the near future. Well, we're in this Waterside series, and I I have the same color. I think last month, like, I had kind of a bluish color. Nikki got me, but do you like this? And today it's like, what would you call this? Peach. Let's go with peach. It's not peach-flavored, but... We're trying to have a little bit of fun. We're in uh, this Waterside series. It's been our summer series. Can you believe it's week seven? We've covered a lot of ground. We've been in the Gospels. We've been in Acts. Uh, We were in the the Old Testament for Jonah for our family series, which was awesome. We're going to be in the uh, Old Testament again today. We're going to be in Joshua chapters three and four when it's the Israelites crossing the Jordan River. And I don't know if you ever wonder this, but uh, when we look at a series, sometimes it's really clear, like, well, this should be the first week, and this should be the second, and so on. When it came to the summer, have you noticed how many stories involve water? How many have symbolism of water, or literally on the water side, or the lakeshore? Have you noticed those things? And so, when I first mentioned it to a a few people, they said, well, well, surely you're going to talk about this and that. And I'm like, oh, those weren't on my list. Like, there's just, there's a lot. We're not going to cover everything this summer. Uh, but, you know, it could have been the Red Sea. But, but in this case, there, there are some parallels there. We're going to be crossing the Jordan River. And so the book of Joshua is where we are today. And so this begins right after the death of Moses. And Francis Schaeffer says that the book of Joshua is a bridge between the Pentateuch and the rest of Scripture, the Pentateuch being those first five books, you know, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Joshua covers an important transition for the people of God and the Israelites here, but, but really to, to fulfill a promise that extends then later to us. But who is Joshua? We're going to look at him a little bit today. Well, he was Moses' assistant. And I'd love to point out this passage from Exodus 33.11 where it says, Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as One speaks to a friend, and afterward Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So it's just kind of cool to know this is the kind of person who ended up leading Israel right after Moses, someone who loved being in the presence of God. And, and it just kind of came to mind after Blair was sharing before that last psalm, but, but that's like the humble kind of spirit that he is. I want to give you just a little bit of context before we get to chapters 3 and 4. Chapters 1 and 2 
look a little bit like this, and perhaps you already know some of the verses from it, but in, in that, that first chapter, so it begins with Joshua being the assistant of Moses, and, and, and actually at the end of that book, it actually shares him being the servant of the Lord, whereas before it was Moses, then Joshua becomes not just an assistant too, but he becomes the servant of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Joshua, and, and this is just a quick paraphrase, but it said, the time has come for you to lead these people across the Jordan River. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Joshua too, that's a, a famous story too. It's where they, they send a couple spies across. Rahab hid them, and then they made this agreement, and they promised to keep her and her family safe. And after the fall of Jericho, this would be chapter 6, it said the men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all other relatives who were with her, and they moved the whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And then it said Joshua spared Rahab because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to to uh, Jericho. And this is just kind of cool, a quick aside for later on. She gets written into the genealogy of both King David and Jesus. It's pretty cool, isn't it? She's the mother of Boaz. Boaz is the one who marries Ruth, and Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse. You know how these go, who is the father of David. And she gets a shout out in that faith kind of hall of fame in Hebrews 11. It was her faith and her friendly welcome of the spies. And then another in James, it talked about her, her faith being demonstrated by works. And so this brings us up to chapter 3. And so chapter 3 and 4, we'll read chapter 3, which isn't that long, and then condense a little bit of chapter 4 before we get into the heart of things. And so this is, this is where they are. They've already had the spies sent out. Now they're back. They're ready to go. Early the next morning, it reads, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through a camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. It's just less than a kilometer some people call it a Sabbath day walk uh, because it was just under the point where they'd break a sweat. Also, in those ancient times, it was about the perimeter, about the walls of, of, a, of a city at the time. And so there is some symbolic uh, nature to the exact distance that's mentioned. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. So they started out and went ahead of the people. And the Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to the, what the Lord, your God, says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, another word, Amorites, and the Jebusites ahead of you. 
Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. Sound familiar? So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the waters above that point began backing up a great distance to a, a town called Adam which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed on Jordan on dry ground. So that's chapter three. There's just a little bit, I've condensed chapter four a little bit to, to, to get the, the takeaway that we really need to understand as they get to the other side. It says, when the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place the, peace, the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them and pile them up at the place where you're going to camp tonight. And then down to, to verse 10, it says, The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord's commands that Moses had, had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. Now, we don't know 100%, like there's different estimations on how many people there were, but, but this wasn't like a five-minute endeavor. This was something that probably took all day. And so imagine they're hurrying along, people of all ages, as the priests are holding the ark the whole time. And so just imagine they're, they're just standing there waiting and waiting and waiting. And then a little bit later it says, That day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites, as he said he would do. And for the rest of his life they revered him as much as they revered Moses. And the Lord had said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until all were across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up and until they had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Father, we thank you for this service, and we thank you for the powerful time of, of worship already. We, we know your, your spirit is here, but we also... Uh, just acknowledge and, and, and feel your presence among us. We thank you so much for Meryl and Venus for them sharing with us today that we get a chance to participate in your mission together. And so we just pray you'd continue to uplift them, uh, grant them peace and, and encouragement and give them strength in, in their ministry. 
And for now, as we're looking into your word and what it is you really have for us today, uh, would we not rush this, but would we be open? Would you open our, our hearts to, to receive what it is you're speaking to us? Holy Spirit, speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a lot of scripture, but it's such a good story. It's really hard to chop up. So I wanted you to hear. You, you see some of the parallels already, but this fits into Waterside for, for a few reasons. But here's just a really quick recap of the passage in case you kind of missed a spot in there. So they were camped out on the east side of the Jordan River for three days. Interesting how three days keeps coming up, right? Long enough so they could see that they needed God's help to cross over. So imagine that they're on this side. It's going to to go from this side to that side instead of the other way around. So they're over here, they're camped out, and it tells us that the, the riverbed was overflowing. So imagine as they're watching this, they realize there's, there's no way, there's no safe way. You, you've seen our river overflow and you've seen debris coming down. So perhaps they were seeing similar things and thought, no, there's no way we're getting all of us across. Maybe two spies, sure, like they can go for it. But for everyone to go across, they knew that they needed God to intervene. So that's the situation. They're camped out there. Um, Joshua receives a, a word from the Lord to then pass on to everyone else. That's a theme that's going to come up. He tells, the Lord tells Joshua to command the people, and then Joshua does what he's told, and he commands everyone else. Then they do what, they told, what they're told, and it goes on. So the people received all the instructions about crossing, and Joshua had instructions for the people and for the priests but for everyone to purify themselves. And then the, the, the priest would lift up the ark and lead the people across. The ark really represents a lot of things. In its title, it's the covenant between God and his people. But it represents so many things, the promise, the presence, uh, but really it's symbolic of, of those things. And then the Lord told Joshua, and then Joshua, he commanded the priests. And so Joshua told the Israelites, today you will know that the living God is among you. Then the people, they left their camp. The priests went first. That's significant. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, covenant, which I said is signifying God's promise and his presence. And then in chapter 3, verses 15 and and 16, a little snippet of of that is that as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the, the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began to back up a great distance. So imagine they were commanded earlier. It, it can be kind of confusing because it said, uh, take a few steps in and then stop there. But they didn't have to, but they were ready to. Do you see how interesting that is? And so the second that their feet touch, something miraculous takes place. And so it was until the riverbed was dry and then all the people were able to cross over. I love how Eugene Peterson uh, says this, the very last kind of phrase in that chapter three is, and not one wet foot. And so that's important. It's a, it's a time when it was overflowing, but it was dried up. So this is unusual. Even though this has happened before in history, it hasn't happened at the exact moment priests put their foot on the water. So there's something here that, well, is it, is it something that just naturally was going to occur or not? I don't think that's the point, but I think their faith was in God did it at exactly the moment they needed and they were all able to cross. The priests continued to hold the ark as members from the 12 tribes and Joshua took stones from the middle of the Jordan where the, pe- the priests were standing. And so this was where they were on dry ground. And so this is meant to be uh, a memorial, something to remember. And so once everyone was safe on the other side, the Lord 
uh, had Joshua command the priests to come up out of the riverbed. And then, and then kind of the opposite thing happened. As soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. And so it's cool that it was just exactly the right moment. And so here's what the book of Joshua teaches us. I, I, I try to study for context for us to get into this one small piece. I had to look at the broader story. Or, or perhaps this is a better way to put it. This is what the Lord wants to teach Joshua and the Israelites, and then we can glean from it, is that he will keep his promise, that his presence will be with us. Will we serve and obey him? That's the question. But, but the statement is, he will keep his promise. His presence will be with us. Will we serve him? Will we obey him? And so it's his promise, it's his presence, but it's our obedience. And now we're looking first at the people in this story, but we're going to glean from this that it's about the Lord's promise, his promise, his presence, but it's our obedience. I love in in Joshua uh, 3.10, he says, Today you will know that the living God is among you. So imagine there's probably people who weren't alive at the time that everyone crossed the Red Sea. And so they've heard these things and they knew that something was coming, but all of a sudden they get to know firsthand. They get to experience it in a really special way. And also it's important to note, as I've mentioned, Joshua continually gives credit to the Lord for this miracle. So The Lord says something to Joshua, Joshua says something to the priests and the people, and then they carry it out. And then Joshua says, the Lord did this, right? And it's cool, but it is hinging on our obedience. He he trusted what the Lord said to him in that first chapter where he said, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And isn't it cool how God works through our obedience? He chooses to do that for some reason, and so if we would only be obedient, would we see these things? I love how president of Kingswood University, Dr. Stephen Lennox, he writes, God's presence is what makes Joshua great. All he must do is be obedient. I want to say that just again in case maybe we can glean this and insert our own names here. God's presence is what makes you great. All you must do is be obedient. Wouldn't that be cool if that was true? Joshua shows how God kept his promise to Abraham all the way to Moses. And if God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. He keeps his promise because our God is a promise keeper. That's what he does. It's who he is. I love later in Joshua, he says, Not a single one of the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he spoke came true because God is faithful. Later in the Old Testament in Micah, the Lord says, remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal. That's this journey here. And Gilgal comes up a little bit in the next chapter after. But he says, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. So he's t- the Lord is saying that this story is to teach about his own faithfulness. And he is faithful. The crossing of the Jordan is a lesson on God's faithfulness to his people. And it took faith to see the faithfulness, didn't it? Stepping into the Jordan River or even taking a few steps took not just obedience, but it took faith. So the question isn't today, will God remain faithful? He is faithful. Faithful isn't what God did. It's, it's, it's not just what he does or will do, but faithful is who God is. It's, it's in his character. But have you noticed how reminders and, and memories are, are not just to remember that God was faithful, it's to remind ourselves that God is faithful. 
Sometimes we need that and maybe we need that today. Will we have faith? Will we remain faithful? That's really the question after we learn today. Faith is reliance upon and trust in God. I love in Hebrews how it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. And in Hebrews later on, it says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. There is more is the point. There is hope for a future that we are singing about that God has in store for us, us who are faithful to the one who is faithful. Have you noticed the Jordan River comes up a few times in Scripture? There's some significance there. Uh, I love that. We've already talked about it on our Baptism Sunday, and, and, and not that the Nashwalk's the same thing or that the exact location matters for us today, but at the time, that's where John the Baptist, and, and in that general area, that's where he began his ministry. So John was preaching repentance of your sins and, and, and for people to get baptized. And he was baptizing them, maybe not the exact same location, but probably pretty close on either side of the Jordan. People would come from miles and miles away to, to be baptized there. Jesus himself was baptized, and we see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's an important moment where we hear the Father's voice and, and John even testifies that he saw the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and resting upon Jesus. So this is a significant place and that good news announcement um, went out from there that the time promised by God is here at last. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near when he speaks it because it's, it's, it's his presence that has come. Because Jesus is evidence that God keeps his promise and his presence is with us. And then the Holy Spirit is with us. He's with us now in a way that these people, they would have only hoped for. And so uh, we have this experience where we don't have to be distant. We don't have to be a kilometer away from, from a symbol of his presence, but we can actually have his presence, not just around us, but even with us. Maybe you've noticed before there's a bit of a parallel between Joshua and Jesus. There is one because of this. It's not just a, a parallel, but the name itself. Both Joshua and Jesus means the Lord saves. The Septuagint, it's really the Greek version of the Old Testament, spells Joshua the same way that Jesus is spelled in the New Testament. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It means the Lord saves, and so that's part of the lesson that we're here to learn. We learn at the birth announcement in Matthew's gospel that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And this, this idea, Joshua is telling the people, prepare to, to, to really purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord's going to do this great thing. Well, Joshua tells the people to purify themselves where Jesus tells the people to repent, to repent of their sins so remember, that's turning. If they were going in one direction, it's actually to turn from the sin, but not just away from the sin, but turn towards God. That's full repentance. And so it's not a negative thing. It's actually quite a positive thing to turn from that old way and actually turn towards, towards God. And, um, and so this whole idea, thanks to Jesus, that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. That's what he sent out the disciples to, to proclaim and so there's this significance that stems out of, of this, this river and something that God did in a miraculous way, he does once again in the New Testament. And so perhaps the Gospels, the same way that Joshua is a bridge between the Pentateuch and the rest of Scripture, maybe the Gospels could be seen and even the baptism moment of Jesus could be seen as that to the rest of his ministry. 
The presence of God is so significant in this story. The priests, they shoulder the symbol of God's presence in these stones. They were taken from the spot. These, the members of the 12 tribes, uh, they then shoulder the reminder for the people. The stones would remind future Israelites and all people of God's faithfulness. Not only Israelites, but all the earth. Later it says, actually earlier in Exodus, Moses says, for your presence among us sets your people people and me apart from all the people on earth. The people needed to be reminded of God's faithfulness so they're more likely to be faithful to God, what he is asking them for. So because God is faithful, he's then requiring us to be faithful, but he goes first. He keeps his promise. His presence is with us. And the question is, will we obey him? And so the worship team is going to come up in a moment. We're, we're not quite done, but they're going to lead us in a song. And I, and I think as we get ready to transition, this, this could be a moment. This could be a transition for us. Often we think, like, what are the next steps? What, what is something that I can do? Okay, I've, I've learned a little bit, but, but what is this for? What is God trying to teach me in this moment? How am I supposed to apply this? Well, I think the easy way to say it is that we need to take a step of faith. But, but what does that mean? Well, remember how the priests, they were both willing to, and they did. They took a step in the water first, and then something happened. Well, we can trust God, too. We can rely on God to come through and to bring us through whatever he leads us to. Is, does that rhyme too much to be true? We can rely on God to come through and bring us through whatever he leads us to. It's his leading, though, isn't it? What if we were going through a transition right now? Maybe you're in it right now. I, I was privileged to be able to be on the phone with a few different people today that are either them or their family members are going through different transitions of, of all different shapes and sizes. And sometimes the room can be light and sometimes it can be heavy. Both things can happen at the same time. Maybe you're in a really exciting transition. Maybe you're going through a really heavy one, you and your family. Either way, uh, what if we're approaching a significant transition right now? What, have you ever heard this phrase, I don't know where I'm going, but I know how to get there? It's kind of a funny one, right? I think uh, trackers and those who hunt in the woods, they, they don't know exactly uh, where they're going to end up, but they know how to get there. They know, even if they get off course, how to get back on course. And isn't that a great lesson for the, for the Christian life? Here's the takeaway that I really want for all of us to, to kind of uh, notice and then see if we can apply today. This is God's part, his promise, his presence, his direction. This is our part, to prepare, to obey, and to remember. I, I want us to just see that again for a moment. Notice God goes first in this. His part is keeping his promise. His part is, is, is having his presence go with us. His part is giving direction. In the case of this story, he's giving direction to Joshua, and then Joshua extends that direction to everyone else. The Lord maybe could have done it another way, but he chose to use Joshua, who was humble and obedient, to then command the others, and then they were humble and obedient to obey. And so our part is to prepare. Remember, they're preparing on the east side of the bank. They're preparing. They're purifying themselves. They're doing everything, getting ready, because why? The Lord's going to do an amazing thing the next day. So they're getting ready. They prepare, and then they're obedient. The priests, they step out in faith. They put their, their, their foot on the water. They're ready to actually take a few steps. They only needed to take one before God showed up and did something. But then on the other side, when they get to the west side of that, of that river, 
they needed to set up a memorial to remember what it is the Lord had done. So God's part is his, his promise. He keeps it. He shares that with us. He reminds us of it. His presence, his presence goes with us. And we have a reverence as we come uh, near to him. And then his direction, he gives direction to us. When we ask for wisdom, have you noticed how he actually grants it? Our part is to prepare and then to obey and then to remember. So there's this cycle that we talked about this week. Actually, Blair pointed this out to our staff, how there's a, kind of a cycle of we, we prepare and then we follow God's direction and obedience and then we remember what he's done. And it doesn't end there because then we have to prepare for something else, even for daily life. So we prepare, we obey, and we remember. And then we prepare and we obey, and we remember. And when times are hard, and we start to forget how God was faithful in the past, we go back, and we remember what he has done and what he's brought us through. Prepare means to step out in faith. That's our part, actually, in obedience, to take that step as the priest did. But then, when we see him bring us through, when we see how he's faithful, when we see how he keeps his promise, how his presence goes with us, then we look back to remember and to celebrate what he's done. God doesn't just send us out. He doesn't just send us out alone, does he? His presence goes with us. That's part of the promise. And so we need to remember. And I'd love to leave you with this verse before we pray and, and close in this powerful song. And, um, in Psalm 77, um, I won't read the whole, uh, the whole thing, but there's, there's kind of a, a starting point of discouragement. So maybe you're in a transition or maybe you're in a time now where it's been heavy, not the nice kind of heavy. It's been a different kind of heavy, and I love how the, the writer here, uh, when he gets to verse 11, he says, But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. So imagine that, that transition. Imagine that important and significant moment in the writer to remember and so what's his part? God's part is the promise and the presence and the direction. Our part is to prepare and obey, but don't forget to remember. Don't forget, I recall all that you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds. And it might feel long ago, but sometimes it's more recent than you give them credit for. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Remember that our God is a promise keeper. And we're about to sing, and I'm going to get out of the way here. But perhaps today, for any one of us, it's a moment where we actually need to symbolize it up front. There's nothing magical about doing that, but perhaps being obedient, perhaps you feel compelled, you feel the urge inside of you. And maybe you didn't grow up around that. Uh, for me, the, the day that I received Jesus was a day where I, I told some of you before where I was sitting in my seat. I was actually sitting at Riverside Camp in August of 99, and my heart was pounding. <laughs> And I did not want to go forward. But I felt I needed to. And I was like, there's no way I'm going forward. As I went over to the altar, I actually came forward to it. And it was in that moment that there was a heaviness and a lightness. I felt God, who seemed distant before, came crashing down. His presence was with me. I confessed my sins. I received him in that moment. I felt called into ministry at the same time. That was a powerful moment that I'll never forget. Uh, I wasn't prepared, to be honest. But I was obedient in taking that step. And I have to remember that moment. For you, it might be completely different, but if you need prayer, perhaps you want to come forward and have someone pray for you, even at a distance, even for us to symbolically lift our hand out. But if you need to come forward during this song, don't wait for the song to be over. 
uh, if it's time for you to move, would you? Father, we thank you for this, this passage and, and for really a, a heavier day because of your, your presence and because of what it is you're doing among us. And so uh, we just pray as, as, as I get out of the way here that um, we're, we're looking to your presence in the room. We're, we're uh, obedient to the way that you're moving in our hearts now. If, if a physical symbolic move forward is, is what we need to do, there's so many different things that it could be. And so uh, would we be obedient if, if it's to even come forward to the altar to, to represent something that you're doing in our lives right now? Would it be on behalf of someone else? Would it be something where people could then gather and, and, and recognize the, the need uh, among people that we love and care for in this room? And so uh, we just pray that you would have your way in the next few moments here. In Jesus' name, we pray.